0: Hello, and welcome to the Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Long Island's podcast. In this episode, we continue our series in the book of Micah. This lesson was presented by Mr. Lawrence Jeffrey on July 4th, 2021, during Sunday School. The lesson's title is A Message of Hope and discusses Micah chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. You can also visit our site, hopereformedli.net, and find us on Facebook and Sermon Audio for more information.
1: All right, so I've been going through Micah. Micah chapter five No, I'm sorry. Micah chapter four. We went through Micah four one to six and we or four one to five, I should say. And then we started last last week in six to eight or a week before one of the two. <clears throat> Boy, I'm in the wrong book. I'm in Isaiah. There we go. Okay. So We're going to continue our talk, yeah, it was last week, we're going to continue our talk, but we're going to continue our talk about this, not from Micah, but from the book of the Revelation, right, talking about the city of God there, the New Jerusalem, so the Revelation 21, so that's where we'll be today, all right. Before we jump into our text, let's pray and ask God to help us. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, you are God, you are our Maker, our Redeemer, our King and our Friend, Father. You're the one who called us out of darkness and into the light of your uh, beloved Son's kingdom, and you are the one who made us who were once not a people into a people. You've made us into a holy city and into a royal priesthood, Father God. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, and you've given us every gift, Father, every spiritual gift. And we thank you, Father, for your spirit, Lord. And we pray that through your spirit we would gain wisdom, gain understanding. And as we read your text, that He would guide us and teach us, that He would illumine uh, the passage to us, Father, that we would grow in grace and truth, know our place in this world, know who we are as your people, Father, and what it is that we're to accomplish while you have us here. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so, again, I'm going to go back, if you have already turned in your Bible to Revelation 21, stay there but I'm going to read um, <clears throat> this brief passage from Micah, where we've been, and then we'll read uh, 21 in Revelation, All right, and then we'll discuss it. So, we'll start at verse 1 of chapter 4 here. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Zion. Jerusalem so that's where we have been in Micah and now we're going to read a parallel passage from the New Testament from the Revelation then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immorals, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had, great high wall, it had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at, the 12, uh, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height were all equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measure, uh, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth uh, carnelian, The eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates was made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city had no need of a sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But its light, I'm sorry, by its light uh, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on the side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. So, hopefully as we read those two passages side by side, you see many similarities, yes? No? Have some quizzical looks? (laughs) All right. All right. Let's look at some of similarities, I suppose that's a good place to begin. Um, Who does see any sort of similarity whatsoever, be it literary or figurative? Anything? Nothing. No? No one sees anything. Okay, what is this city called? The New Jerusalem, right? What is the one in Micah called? Oh, we've read this so many times. You should have it memorized. Yeah. Daughter Jerusalem. Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. Right? So, there, at least we have a name for the city. We could call it Jerusalem. Yes? A heavenly Jerusalem. Zion. Whatever you want to say. In terms of this city being the same. Now, if it's the same city they're both Jerusalem, then there ought to be some similarities here. Right? Now, where is the city of well, the new Jerusalem that we see in the book of the Revelation, where is that city? Where did the angel take John to see this magnificent city that comes down out of heaven? Of the yes, to a great high mountain, right? And what does it say in Micah about this city? Go ahead, Sarah. It's on a mountain, right? That's the mount of the house of the Lord that's going to be established as the highest of all the mountains. Alright, there are some more similarities. Now, do we see any literary similarities between these two things? How does this passage end and how does the passage that we read in Micah end? It says, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And how does the passage in Micah end? Or at least what we have. You look at verse 7 of what we have here, right? The Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And verse... Five, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And in verse 8 we see, the former dominion shall come, kingship for daughter Jerusalem. Right. So, we deal with the forever and ever and the reigning. Yes? I mean, as a matter of fact, I believe verse uh, 7 there is the Dead close, right? The Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their God, will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So, remember what we said about that sun. What does that mean? That's yes, right, authorities. They will not need light or lamp or sun, because God is their Light he is their son, he is their authority. He reigns in this city, right So we see more similarities there. So this is why we're going into this text to be clear, if it wasn't clear, because this city is the same as the city that Mike is talking about. And the reason that we're going to go through this, we spoke a bit about that um, last week. if you guys remember. We read a passage from Ezekiel, right? You guys remember that when we went to Ezekiel? Chapter 43, um, 3, I believe it was, right? Yep, 43. 42? Well, I have written 43 because I'm a... Yeah. All right, let's see. Let's go to Ezekiel uh, and reads what we read before. All right. Well, actually, I remember... Yes. The verse that I was referring to was... 43, verse 10. I do remember this. Yes. Um, but we did read from uh, Ezekiel 42. And we'll do it again. wine as well, just to be clear. Starting in verse 15. Now, when he had finished measuring... This is about the temple, right? Ezekiel's great uh, temple. That, that vision of the temple that God gives to Ezekiel that he was to share with the people of Israel. Now, when he had finished measuring the interior of the temple area... He led me out of the gate and that faced east and measured the temple area all around. He measured the east side with its measuring reed, 500 cubits by measuring reed all around, etc. And goes all the way down and he measures again. Let's see, verse 20, he measured it on the four sides. It had a wall all around, 500 cubits long and 500 cubits broad it, to make a separation between the holy and the common. And then we read this from 43.10. As for you, Son of Man, describe the House of Israel, uh, describe to the house of Israel the temple that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and they uh, shall measure the plan all right so well, we could keep going, and if they are ashamed of all they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, its exits, and its entrances, that is its whole design, and make known to them as well all its statues and the whole design and all its laws and write it down in their sight so that they may observe all its laws and all its statutes and carry them out. This is the law of the temple. The whole territory on the top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. So when we talks about its measurements, it's structure, etc. It's architecture. It is called a law. It is the law of the temple. And as they heard what this temple looked like, or was to be built as, right, um, they were to be ashamed of their iniquities. Now, when you see like the east wall being 500 stadia and stuff like that, how is that supposed to make Israel ashamed of their iniquities? That makes very little sense. Doesn't it? I mean, if someone gave you building plans, gave you a blueprint that describes a building structure, and they you know, tell you that you should be ashamed of your sins because this building looks like this, I mean, would you think they're off their rocker? Probably a little bit, maybe a little, right? Probably just a wee bit. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. Go
0: ahead. Nah. No no well, the guy said, you know, you can't build a temple that you can't dwell in. temple.
1: No worse. No worse. Well,
0: we're meant to be the temple, and if we don't measure up to the proper measurements.
1: Right. Right. It was always God's intention for Himself to be the God of His people, right? That was the great promise of the Old Covenant, that God was going to be their God and they were going to be His people, right? What is the temple of God? What is it? What does the word temple mean? Yes, his dwelling place, his house, right? His palace, if you will. That's what the very word temple means. It says David, or we could say Solomon actually, built a temple for the Lord, and he built a temple for himself. That's, the word is the same. In our translations, it says temple, and it says palace, right? But they both mean the same exact thing, or it's the same exact word, palace, right? Uh, It is God's house, his dwelling place. It is a place where God chooses to dwell. And it's always been symbolic of God's people, right? Always. Always was and always uh, will be. So the New Covenant makes it quite explicit, though. Paul tells us explicitly that we are, as the church, the temple of God, right? That's what. Paul says very clearly in Corinthians. And not just the church as a whole, but even as individuals. Our bodies are the temple of the Lord, right? It's a microcosm, it's, and it's fractal all at the same time. So we, we are, God fills all things, right? Does he not? Everywhere is God's dwelling. Right? What does is, what is God, or what does Solomon say as he dedicates the temple? That this house can't house God, you know. He, they have that understanding that God is way too big to be contained in such a small vessel. But these are what we call microcosms, right? They're they're pictures of um, the greater whole. Now, what's wonderful about the imagery that we have here is all of it harkens back to. Genesis one, right? It all goes back to Genesis one. We spoke a lot about this when we we talk about imagery, just in general. Now why? Like we read Revelation, right? What do we have there? What do we have in Revelation? We have um, this s- city that its walls are adorned with these precious gemstones, right? that should bring us back to well I guess at this point Genesis chapter 2 right where in Eden you have onyx and bdellium and all of these wonderful things in the ground gold from Havilah etc right you have a river that flows from Eden down to the four corners of the earth right right you remember those things what else appears here what in revelation we have even a tree of life don't we? On either side of the river, the tree of life. So there's, at least in this city, there's a few trees of life, right? But the tree of life comes from where? Yeah, the Garden of Eden. So all of these things, these are garden pictures, garden imagery. Why, Why would that be? It's a return to perfection. Well, that's a good way to put it. Any other ways to put this? I mean, what does Jesus say? He says he makes all things new. So, what would that mean if he makes everything new? I mean, it's a return to perfection. Well, this is recreation, is it not? Right? The temple's filled with garden imagery, right? The tabernacle is filled with garden imagery. God is reconstituting the world again and again. Yes. Good. Yes, he does. Bunyan does hearken to that idea, right? Taking it from Scripture itself. The problem with Bunyan, in in his story, no, no, no. I, it is an allegory. That's the problem. The problem is it's it's allegorical. In, in its nature, you know, um, and our minds tend to think allegorically, you know, like that's not a good way to think when you read scripture, and we'll talk about that in as we go through this, why that doesn't really work, you know, uh, this is an analogy, it's not an allegory, right, it's analogical, so... If, what I mean by this is, this, uh, to be clear, um, in an allegory, something represents something else, right? It's a one-to-one relationship. And just to be clear, let's use this as an example here. All right. This city has walls. These walls are made of stones, specifically, at least as they're described, jasper stones, Okay. The stones, as individuals, are the people of God. Yes, we are living stones that make up this city. And yet, it has trees that grow along the sides of the river. What are those trees? The people. So we are both the stones of the city and the trees of the city. It's not a one-to-one, see? Does that make sense? It's an analogy. It's not an allegory. If it was an allegory, it would be like, well, how could we be both the stones and the trees? at the same time. That doesn't make a lick of sense. Well, because it's not an allegory. That's why. Um, So, let's not think allegorically. Let's look at this symbolically. Um, Where, it's like language, you know? We can use the word cleave as a great example of this, right? What does the word cleave mean? Yes, you cleave to your wife. It means to hold tightly to something. Yes. What else does it mean? Separate. Right. Yeah, like a cleaver. Right? So you can cleave something asunder, yes? So it has two different meanings. What's that?
0: cleave something Well
1: that's that's our loss. <laughs> but yes, we do we do use the word cleave in that in that way, at least, you know? So it means to come apart, yes, so it means to come together and it means to come apart all at the same time. Is it all at the same time? No, it's not all at the same time at least but uh, but it's the same word right It has different meanings. so we could see that that's what symbolically, uh symbolism's like in scripture it's a, it's, a, it's a language of um, one word with many different meanings or many. Words with the same meaning, right? So in this case, stones, trees, they mean the same thing. Yes? Hopefully that makes sense. A little bit. Good. In an allegory, if it wasn't like an allegory, it would be one word has one meaning. All right, that's that's how allegories generally work. Yes? Okay. But it doesn't really work like that when it comes to scriptural symbolism. What were we going to say? See?
0: We had different ingredients, meaning we had the stones, we had the tree of life.
1: Yes. And um, and
0: there was no sin.
1: Right. And
0: then in the New Jerusalem, many of the same ingredients are are, are in the the New City. Yes. And there's no sin, and no one who can lie is allowed in it. And and there were walls preventing sin. Right. God is provided by you know there's no need for son, because God is provided for life there's no need for authority because God is the only authority right in the interim is where we are um, so Adam Adam and Eve were uh, cast out of the garden and we are to because now I'm thinking of other lessons where you taught uh, where people do work unto the glory of God and they make beautiful things and mm-hmm. they're true and right to his glory and so we're to play a part in this, the building of this
1: new city which ultimately the Lord is going to bring about alright yes and no yes because that is exactly our function we are building this city 110% but no that this is not an interim period we are this city this city is now and the city is us. All right? As we this is this is what we're to measure up to. Does this city exist in its consummated form, in its fullest form? No. But does this city exist currently? Absolutely it does, right? We are that heavenly Jerusalem. What does the author to the Hebrews say about this city? He speaks about a heavenly Jerusalem too, doesn't he? Go to, well, you don't have to if you don't want to, I'll read, but let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. He says this about this mountain, comparing two different mountains, the same way the author to the Revelation compares two different mountains. Yes? I'm going to start at verse 18. All right? For you have not come, it's what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying uh, was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Speaking about Mount Sinai, right? But you have come to Mount Zion. See, listen to the language. You have come, as in have come. past tense. So, uh To Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, uh, and to sprinkle and to, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, etc. So, see, we have come, right? How does Paul speak about this? Now, I know a lot of people think that Paul wrote Hebrews, but that's a bunch of bunk. There's no possible way Paul wrote Hebrews. <laughs> uh, I jest, I jest, but. there's some reasons why but that's not important for our lesson Um, let's look at well I'm going to read at least Galatians uh, 4 here tell me you who desire to be under the law do you not listen to the law for it is written that Abraham had two sons one by a slave woman and one by a free woman Um, But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free, And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, You who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be uh, more than those of the one who has a husband, etc. So, Paul still speaks here of the city, Jerusalem, that is above. right? And here he does speak allegorically, not analogically. But the other way we come to um, the Jerusalem that is above. She is our mother. This is a present reality for these believers. And at the same time, they had a present earthly Jerusalem. The book of the Revelation was written at the same time period and compares the two cities as well. The earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem. The earthly Jerusalem being, obviously... Where the temple stood, the physical temple, the earthly temple, the one that was abandoned by God, that was made desolate, as it were. Matter of fact, the whole book of the Revelation is a series of contrasts, right? Like, what does John see? He sees Jesus presented as a lion of the tribe of Judah. Who appeared as a lamb that was slain. And this lamb had horns and eyes and all kinds of weird things about it. Let's see, real quick. We're not even going to get to anything, are we? <laughs> just, all right. Uh, I am right now in what? Uh, Revelation chapter 5, I believe. Yeah. Five. Um, yeah, let's start here in verse 6, at least the second half of it. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Right. That's how Christ is presented here in Revelation. Now, let's see it's another animal that is presented to us. Actually, there's many animals that are presented to us in the book of um, the Revelation here. But let's see another. Uh, Let me find one. Okay. So in 17, it speaks about a great harlot, a great prostitute, and a beast, right? Um, John says, "When he saw her, he marvelled greatly." But the angel said to me, "Why do you marvel? I tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her." All right, so we have this woman and a beast, and this is the great. This is actually the great contrast of the book of the Revelation. We have this lamb with seven eyes and seven horns, and we have a beast with uh, ten horns and seven heads and everything else, right? What is the beast? Now, that's a interesting question. Um, a lot of people think about this beast as something that's going to come way off in the future, called the Antichrist, or this and that and the other thing. That's not what's being presented to us here, and I don't have time to prove this, I mean right now at least I can next time we speak but um, the beast at least at this point is Rome alright, because this is speaking to John's people of his day and he's making a comparison between two things, well yes I should say four things you have Christ and you have Caesar and you have the church and you have the old Jerusalem, right? Judaism, as it existed, the temple system as it existed of his day. The temple system was propped up by the Romans, right? That's why you have this great harlot. Oh, oh yeah, I should also say that, right? You have uh, the lamb and the beast, right? Christ, Caesar. You have the bride, the church, and you have the harlot, earthly Jerusalem. Now, why was earthly Jerusalem a harlot? Well, God calls her a harlot. All kinds of places in the Old Testament, doesn't he? Jeremiah, um, Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah, over and over again. Jerusalem's a whore, yes. But here it appears the same. Um, this great harlot was riding the back of this beast here in Revelation 17. Right? What did? The Jews say when they crucified Christ, and Pilate said, "Behold your King," and they responded, "That's right." And what were they afraid? Why did they crucify Jesus? What's up? Right, and who was going to take it from them? The Romans, right? The Romans were propping up this whole system that they had, this corrupt system that they had. And remember, Jesus came in and he cleared that temple and then he cleared it again later on and it was a den of robbers the system was completely corrupt and it was being propped up by the Romans it was a harlot riding the back of the beast right but then in Revelation we see fallen fallen is Babylon Um, and if you read Eighteen you guys can do that later on. We're not going to go through the whole thing. It talks about all of these wonderful things that exist within this city, and then later, as we read in twenty one a lot of the same materials that are in Babylon the great harlot's city appear here in uh, this heavenly city, yes no. That theme is very familiar, or should be very familiar to us, right? Remember, how did Solomon build the temple? Where did he get the materials to build the temple? Well, he, right, he got, he got, well, not necessarily all the nations, but he got the cedars from Lebanon, right, from Tyre, right? David collected those because the king of Tyre was his good friend. But um, how about the gold? Where did the gold come from? Egypt. Well, that yes, yeah, the gold came from Egypt when they built the tabernacle, yes? Remember, they plundered the Egyptians and they built the tabernacle, right? Now, where did the gold for the temple come from? What did David do his entire reign? He waged war against the Philistines, right? right. Remember what the Philistines are? Egyptian. Right. Very good. The Philistines are Egyptians. We learned this from Genesis chapter 10, speaking in terms of genealogies. Egypt is one of uh, the members, and the Philistines, they come from a son of Egypt, so they are properly to be understood as Egyptians, because that's the great battle. And how is Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, described in Revelation as Sodom and Egypt? Right? you you guys are very familiar with the book of the Revelation no I mean not familiar in terms of um, necessarily knowing every detail of what things mean in terms of all its symbolism but familiar enough to understand like when I say Sodom and Egypt you understand where that comes from that reference comes from no so I'll show you remember the two witnesses at least yes okay good great The two witnesses and they're killed. Hmm. All right, it's all right. So, and when they finish their testimony, this is from Revelation 11, verse seven. And when they finish their testimony, that's the two witnesses. The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and will conquer them and kill them, and their dead body uh, will lie in the in the street of the great city. that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, right? So what is this city called? Sodom and Egypt. So, if Babylon is this... Hold on a second, If Babylon is Egypt, and Babylon is Jerusalem, and it has all these wonderful materials that exist in there, and those materials get plundered and they appear in the heavenly Jerusalem. We shouldn't be surprised by things like this, yes? Because that's a great theme of Scripture. Um, Anyways, man, this is, we didn't touch, I didn't even touch my notes. (laughs) We're just talking about just, just, I I guess this is good because it it should be, it should be made clear um, where we're coming from, at least, so... You, I'm blaming you, Steve. Yeah, these are connections right, right.
0: right
1: no, the Philistines are from the the Philistines of a little bit of a little bit of a little That's after the flood, right? It talks about the descendants of Noah. So remember, this is a starting over. This is where everyone from all the earth comes from, right? I want to speak about, we'll, we'll go from verse 6 specifically. The sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, right? Now let's look at verse 13. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Nephtahim, Pathrusim, and Kalshuhim, from whom the Egypt, uh, the Philistines came. Right? So the Philistines were children of Egypt. Yes? Yeah. Okay. So when you see Philistines, think Egyptians, right? Like at least in terms of biblical symbolism. All right. All right. So when David's plundering the Philistines and waging war on them and taking their gold and bronze and silver and everything, and then that is used to build the temple, it is directly related to the uh, children of Israel coming up out of Egypt and plundering the Egyptians and building the tabernacle. Yes? Right. And it's directly related to Satan's house being plundered. Right? What does Jesus say about uh, Satan's house being plundered? He says, "You can't rob a strong man unless first you bind him, and then when you then you can you know rob him, rob him blind after he's tied up." Yeah, but that, that's in reference to Satan and Satan's house, um, and he's speaking there specifically about the people of God. Well, Satan being bound and the people of God robbing. From Satan, in terms of where where did the apostles go? Like they were Paul, at least. Like when he went around and he traveled around, he would always go to synagogues and he would go to the Jews first and then the Greeks. Right? Remember, at that time period, the Jews belonged to Satan, right? I mean, where did all the demons show up? They showed up in all the synagogues and everything else. And what did Jesus say explicitly to the Jews? Like when they were saying, how could you possibly do this? We are children of Abraham. And he says, if you're children of Abraham, you'd do what you're, you, know, you would do what Abraham did. You would believe, right? And they said, we're even children of God. And he says, no, 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 no. You're of, like your father, the devil. Yeah? So Satan's house needed to be plundered. That includes not just the Jews, but also the rest of the nation's. The rest of the nations belonged to the devil as well, did they not? God's nation was supposed to be Israel, but Israel fell way short. They became a harlot. And so they had to be plundered. But the rest of the nations, God chose only Israel as his heritage, as his inheritance. The rest of the nations were given over. Right? That, that much is at least clear. But then when Christ came, he says, what? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. So now all the nations belong to Christ. His house was plundered, right? And that's what we do. We go out into the world, and hopefully, uh, by faith and by grace, we plunder Satan's house, and we build the temple of God, yes? But the temple of God is not built with actual gold, like the physical gold or anything else. How is it built? It's built with living stones. Right? So, we, as we plunder Satan's ass, what are we doing? Well, hopefully the nations are converted and come in. Right? And we grow the temple that way. Yes? See the parallels? See the connections between those two things? Hopefully it does. You do? Uh, anyway, it's time to close. Is there any questions, thoughts, or comments? And hopefully, next week we can actually talk about this city. And our and what we are, yes.
0: Jerry assigned these distractors as well.
1: Oh uh, very good.
0: <laughs> when we're plundering Satan yes. for uh, the kingdom of God, is, is it is it is it more about the transcendentals that you bring up like um What do you mean? Well when when, when we uh, we, when we live in, as an example of Christ to others who are non-believers and we overcome them with our love, with our patience, with our forgiveness with our, uh, you know, all those transcendentals mm-hmm. which is right um, and with the help of the Lord and they're, they're um, won over, I guess would be the word or, or at least that we're acknowledged that that really... I,
1: I'm not capable of being like them and I refuse to, to repent, but they are the truth. Well. Yes and no. I mean, um, we're told that the glory of God and its radiance um, shine through the city, you know, right? And this, the, the walls of this city are clear like glass, yes? So the glory of God, that light that's within the city shines out through the city and lights the rest of the world. And it says specifically that, that the light of the city is a light by which the nations will walk. right? And what do we read in Micah? That the, the nations will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of God. Right? So as our light shines, as we are that city on a hill, as we are um, the light of the world, the nations will walk by our light. And we, I mean, that's the history of, world, you know? I mean, why don't we worship, I don't know, the great sky spirit and cannibalize our neighbors, you know, like the Native Americans did? Well, because Christianity, yes? Right? Uh, Why is slavery abolished, you know, in the West? Well, I mean, you know what I mean, institutionally. because of christianity you know why 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 is, do we even care about tolerance now that's being used as a weapon against us uh, but because of christianity yeah like the like uh, the church in impacts wherever it is you know the light, as the light shines the world does change but the plundering comes not just from the um, moral transformation of nations but actually from People within the nations being converted and coming and becoming part of this city. You know, that's more the plundering aspect. Is is by the conversion of of the Gentiles, right? You were once uh, your ancestors are Polish. I'm not even sure. I guess you would worship Thor and them, right? We don't. You worship Christ, right? Good. What I was talking about was, like, um, God, like, uh, the the house that Solomon built can't contain God. He fills the earth, yes? Yeah. Right? It was that symbolically, yeah? The same thing applies for, for us. Even though God does dwell with us in an even more intimate and more real way than God dwelt in Solomon's <laughs> temple, because he dwells within us, I mean, we'll talk... A, more about this um um next week. But that's what I meant. I meant that like uh you can't contain God, right? Like right. Like he's way too big for you to contain. He dwells everywhere. You know? He's omnipresent, we say. Yes? All right, that's what I meant. But go ahead you had to handle uh, the veggie tail. He he's bigger than the boogeyman. That's right, he is bigger than the boogeyman. And he's bigger than the whatever. I used to know that one. (laughs) I think that was the only VeggieTales tape I ever owned as a child. Anyways, um, okay, let's pray in close. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are our great God and our great King, and that you have made us into this uh, great city, this holy city. We thank you that you are the light of this city, that we have no need for kings and princess, because Christ is our King and He is our Lord. And we thank You, Father, that um, well, by Your light we walk, Lord. And we thank You that You have not left us without Your voice, Lord. You have spoken to us through Your Word, Lord, and given us Your Spirit that we might uh, hear and obey, Father. And we pray that we would be a people that does light this world, that does uh, that is so pure that we are clear like glass, and your glory radiates and shines through us, Father God, and the rest of the world sees uh, our well, our light that is you, Lord, and we pray, Father, that we would be a people that takes our mission seriously, that we would go forth and wage war, and we would plunder our enemies, Father, through our good works and through uh, your gospel, Father, that you are Uh, light would shine in this world and those who are called by your name would come and be part of this great city, Lord. And we pray that as the light shines, Lord, that the nations truly would walk by your light, that we might see change and transformation in, in our land, Father. But in order for that to happen, we have to have your church walking by your light and we pray we would be a people marked out distinct and separate from our neighbors, that we would be a people marked out by the love that we have for one another and by obedience to your word and to your law, Father God. But now as we uh, seek to worship you, Lord, we pray that as we gather into the heavenly places, into this, as we come to this heavenly Jerusalem, Lord, before innumerable angels and the hosts that have gone before us, that you'd be pleased with our worship, that you would hear our prayers, that you would, um, well, as our, our songs would go up before you as, as a proper praise offering, Father, that as we dine at your table, Lord God, you would see Christ in us and judge us, um, worthy, Father God, not in and of ourselves, but because of what Christ did, that we would eat and drink appropriately, that we would eat and drink rightly and not be judged um, for our sins. But you would see righteousness in us. And Lord, we pray that as we carry that out into the world, as we go forth from here, that your righteousness would remain and that we would show, show it forth in the world, Lord God. And through our living, and through our actions, our neighbors would see that line and desire to come and eat and drink our food. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.